That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to Humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. This jam is called Going Late off the Humans album, Going Late. Big thanks to those guys, and be sure to check out Humans Music. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to that Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. Uh, It's good to be back this week, and uh, this message for today is titled, He Got All God on Us, and uh, that's the title of the podcast, and I figured there might be some people out there who would say that after I delivered today's message, man, he got he got all God on us. And I just wanted to say I did get all God on you because God's all I got. And uh, God's all you got too. And I always tr- uh, try to stay away from telling others what they need or what they should do or what they should feel, anything like that. And I'm not trying to do that at all right now, but I feel like there's someone out there listening who needs to hear that, that God's all you got. And uh, God's all you need to get through whatever it is that you're going through right now. So especially if you're a first time listener, you're just tuning in today for the first time, welcome. I celebrated six years sober on Wednesday, September 11th, just a couple of days ago. Uh, So stoked about that, very excited. Uh, It was a great day, I got to spend some time together with my kids, with my wife. Uh, We had a really awesome time, went out to San Francisco in the evening time, went to a podcast movement meetup, which was great. Um, Met some cool people. And uh, had a good time, and I got to celebrate six years of being free from alcohol and drugs and uh, uh, give that up to God, no doubt, and an awesome support system all around me, my family, my friends, uh, my sponsor, and I just couldn't be more grateful for the life that I live today uh, versus how it was uh, just six short years ago. So uh, big love to uh, big love to the family, to the friends, to everybody who's been a support, to you guys out there who listen to the show. I uh, couldn't have done it without you guys, um, and I uh, just appreciate you, and I'm so grateful to be here today. Now, I wanted to try a little something different, and I'd ask that you keep an open mind today, uh, keep an open heart, be at ease as you listen to this. Um, sometimes we have a tendency, uh, things we, that we might not agree with, or we might not think the same um, in in the same light that someone else might think. And and I want to say I'm you know guilty of that as well. Sometimes I could hear something and go automatically you know disregard it, whether it's God or something else uh, in in life that's going on. And one of the things that I learned in in uh, in going through the early years, and I continue to learn this stuff, you know, as I as I go on. But in my early recovery days, 
I was taught to, to practice patience and pa- practice tolerance and be able to listen to other people's opinions and thoughts without taking offense to them so much because you never know. There could be, you know, maybe nine out of the 10 things don't apply to you. You don't believe in them, but there's that one thing that you need to hear. So I would just ask that keep an open mind today, uh, settle in, relax on this one today. It's a little bit different for me too. And uh, I just ask for uh, for your open-mindedness and your love on this one, man. This is, this is going to be fun stuff and it's going to be good. I'm going to get to share a little bit about my experience in in these last six years, um, how I forgot some of the things that I've been through and how, uh, how I ended up where I am really, as I sit here today and talk on, on this awesome podcast platform that God has been so gracious to, uh, to, to provide all of us with not just me, but all of us together collectively as a sober community. I'm just really honored and grateful to, uh, to be able to have the opportunity to do this. So, um, how often do you take a moment to reflect on how far you've come, uh, or, or take a look at who's helped you get to where you are today? And that's kind of what I want to talk about in this episode. I want to take a look at what can happen when we try to do recovery, when we try to do life on our own. Uh, I have a couple of stories I want to share with you, both from a struggle standpoint and then from a strength standpoint. Uh, and then we'll wrap up uh, with some resources, uh, some things that can help keep you on track and headed in the right direction. Uh, but before we do that, I want to uh, I want to say be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. Uh, you can connect with us on Instagram at real that sober guy, and you can also connect with us on Twitter at Shane Raymer. Now, finding the right treatment for addiction and mental health illness can be tough, and that's why Sober Guy has continued to partner with Foundations Recovery Network. In fact, I just had a great meeting uh, with Katie from Foundations uh, just a few days ago to talk a little bit about what 2020 looks like. Are we going to continue to work together? Um, all that good stuff. So, shout out to them. Uh, they stay true to their mission. They hold high ethical standards. They provide treatment in a nationwide network of residential and outpatient programs. Uh, they've built the industry's leading research and outcomes program uh, and in order to fulfill each commitment to patients and not only the patients, but their loved ones. So if you want to learn more, if you're looking for a resource, I know that's a thing out there. Sometimes you don't know who to turn to. You don't know who to trust. Um, go to foundationshelp.com slash sober guy, or you can call 833-81-SOBER. That's 833-81-SOBER. And you can talk with the admissions coordinator about treatment options that can answer any questions for you there. Uh, one other thing, did you know we have a course called How to Navigate the First 90 Days of Sobriety? Uh, it's a digital course. You can do it at your home, do it wherever you want. It's myself, a few doctors, a few friends, and people in recovery. I got I kept getting so many questions about how do I stay sober? How do I navigate these first 30, 60, 90 days of sobriety? How do I stay sober? And I thought, man, we should just put a course together. I'll interview some people, some of my friends, some professionals, and we'll talk about what we have done personally, what's worked for us, what haven't, what hasn't worked for us, uh, and uh, and we'll put it in a digital format. People can can watch it and listen to it whenever the heck they want. So that's what we did. Uh, it's twenty five bucks with the promo code half off. If you go to thatsoberguy.com and you can click on courses, uh, all the information's there. So be sure to check that out. And then I wanted to read a, a quick iTunes review before we get into uh, into today's message. Um, and this one says, it's a five-star review, Ray of Hope uh, by Jay Allens. 
And uh, I appreciate the review. It says, Shane, I listen to you daily. My husband's been struggling with alcoholism for at least three years now, estranged from our family. I pray every day for his recovery. And while I try to work on myself, it took a long, for, a long time for me to realize that I cannot fix this. Uh, I don't know what to do. I miss him terribly. I attend Al-Anon here and there. I get through my days the best I can, but your podcasts are an inspiration to me. You're compassionate, not only to people who struggle with addiction, but towards the families who suffer terribly as well. And you provide some hope. Uh, and thank you so much for that. And I can't tell you how much that means to me. Um, thank you so much for the love there. And I completely can identify with the struggle of that, with the family aspect of it. You know, so much, so many of us that struggle with addiction and talk about addiction, a lot of the time the families get f forgotten. I feel like, you know, it's that, that kind of takes a back seat and this addiction piece of it overshadows that. And, you know, the family is really the backbone of, of, uh, of support for the person who's struggling out there. And, um, Man, I'm just I'm so grateful that I have an opportunity to uh well number one, I had an opportunity to really save my family and uh and and break that cycle of addiction. And my buddy Phil and I were talking last night and he had mentioned about um breaking the the curse, you know, that that family curse that's you know that that affects so many families out there. Uh, I had an opportunity to break that. And that is something I'm very, very proud of. And you know, one thing that um that uh, Jay says here is that she realized she can't fix this. Um, you know, I, and, 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 you know, she doesn't know what to do. And so I think that there's, there's something to that in that surrender piece. Like I can't fix this. Like I need God. I need something higher to help me get through this. And this is a perfect review really to read today because it really ties into, uh, to the message today. And so as we kind of move into that, number one, Jay, thank you again for the review. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, it's really honored. You know, I, I feel so grateful to be able to, to, uh, to add, you know, my hope, my story, and I'm just a small piece of this, um, this community and, uh, I, I appreciate you. So thanks again for, for writing that review and best to you keep praying, um, you know, keep showing up, uh, keep listening, keep doing the things that you're doing in Al-Anon in, uh, if you're going to a church, if you're a part of some sort of community out there, just keep doing that and, uh, it will work out just how it is supposed to. So thanks again for that. Um, now let me just go back up here. I need to copy and paste this real quick. What I like to do on most of these is put, uh, you know, I usually do some talking, some talking points, some bullet points and, um, and kind of work off of those. And I, you know, I got a little bit deeper this week because as some of you who listen to the show regularly, probably, probably realized, you know, I, I, I wasn't able to put anything out last week. And part of it was a time commitment thing, but part of it too was just, you know, I've, I've been going through so much, so much lately internally and, and just trying to surrender some things and trying to make some changes in my life. And, uh, it's been a bit of a struggle as far as not only doing that, but also at the same time, trying to be inspired, uh, to, to do the podcast. And one thing I've always said is that if I'm, if I'm not having fun with it, if I'm not feeling inspired, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to force myself to do something and put something out that's crappy and it doesn't make any sense. And, and, and that I'm not feeling just, you know, it, because I need to, you know, I think it's doing almost an injustice by doing that. Um, you know, then, then trying to, uh, trying to, 
trying to uh, do something and then it just it just doesn't doesn't work. So uh, I took some time off. I have a ton of support around me, a lot of good men, um, you know, to help help build up and speak into my life. And it's something that's so important for you dudes out there and for you ladies as well, too. But if I can speak directly to the dudes like having homies around you, a support group, mentors, whether it's a sponsor, a friend, uh, someone in some sort of community around you that can help guide you. You can bounce ideas off. You can ask questions. It's so important to have. Uh, and if, uh, if you don't have that, uh, get to a meeting, you know, get to, get to, uh, uh, your church, get to somewhere, even if it's like a softball league. I mean, I know that's kind of might sound kind of goofy for some people, but, um, you know, like I have a Thursday night team that is just a part, even if it's just starting there, you know, where you're around some other dudes and hopefully there's some good dudes that can, you know, that, that have their, their, their lives together and that are kind of, you know, doing the right thing. And when I say have your lives together, it doesn't mean perfect. I'm not saying like, hey, you must have your life together and do everything perfect. That's not what I'm saying. It ain't, it ain't the, you know, the, the person who his, his is perfect and is checking all the boxes. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the time I've noticed that some of the people I talk to that seem like they have their things together, uh, it's really a facade and, and it doesn't. So, uh, what I'm trying to say here is, um, just be real. I don't really know what I'm trying to say. As a matter of fact, see, and I'm all off the talking points right now, which is one thing I love about the show. I can kind of freestyle and freeform on this. And that's when I get some of the realest stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you don't have some community out there, some people building you up, like I did going through these last you know month, two months of, of stuff, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do this on my own. And so that really brings us into today's topic is how often do so many of us try to do life on our own? How often do so many of us try to do recovery on our own? Like I'm good now and uh, I'm, I'm on fire for life, baby. I got this. I got this, man. And, and, and that's an easy thing to fall into. It's in human nature. I've heard Noah Levine say it in one of my favorite meditations. The, the, the mind is wired for survival. It's not, it's not wired for, for happiness, for um, and, and I know there's a little bit of a difference there. Maybe that doesn't exactly line up with, I got this, but I think it does at the same time line up with the fact that like, I can do this on my own. I can survive on my own. I got it. Now I struggled for 17 years with alcohol and drugs, and I really struggled more without knowing how to deal with life. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really something I learned and that I continue to learn like the alcohol, the drugs was the tool that I was using to deal with life and deal with the fact I didn't know how to deal with life. I didn't have a support group. I didn't have an anchor of God in my life to help get me through the times where I just felt like I didn't want to go on anymore. And, uh, you know, and, and in order to deal with that stuff, what did I do? I partied, I partied hard. And by the end of the party, man, I was exhausted, a 17 year party. And uh, out of all those parties and all the fun, there was definitely plenty of good times, but eventually it just, it wasn't fun anymore. Uh, it was a never ending routine of waking up, uh, saying I wasn't going to live like this anymore. God, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not, I don't want to live like this. I know there's something more for me only to live another day 
the same way that I said I wasn't going to live anymore day after day after day. It was like Groundhog Day, waking up, doing the, like swearing up and down, I'm not going to do this. And then the next day, falling into that same routine again, doing the same exact thing that I said I wasn't going to do yesterday. And there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes along with that that's really hard to break when you're stuck in that cycle, depression, anxiety. It's a, you know, you, you get in that and it's so overwhelming sometimes you know, that you just, you, you don't know what to do. And so for me in my, in my own journey and, and things I was going through, I turned to alcohol and, and I turned to drugs to help numb that. So I wouldn't have to feel now, Jess and I got together when we were about 20. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever shared the whole story and I'm not going to do it right now. I'll save you that of how we got together, but we've known each other since the sixth grade. I had a crush on her. We did. We went to high school together. We dated different people. We, we had some, uh, some of the same mutual friends that we still share today. Uh, but when we were to, when we got, when we were about 20, we ended up starting to, to date and starting to hang out. Um, you know, and, and especially in the early days, you know, we're still not, we're still not rocket scientists, but we were definitely not smart in our first days. And Jess might argue then it, you know, when it comes to certain things like parenting, I'm still not very smart. Like when I, the, an instance, I created the song Butt Juice in front of our five-year-old. Probably not a very good idea. I don't know if you guys remember that song, uh, Pimp Juice. Talking about my pimp juice. Oh, <laughs> for some reason one day, I mean, whether you're five or whether you're 38 like me, a fart is still funny, right? So I, I, it's like right off the top of my head, I'm talking about my butt juice. Oh, and I'm going to let it loose. Oh, that just came out one day right in front of my five-year-old and, and like right before he started kindergarten and it, it, like, okay, I'm like, buddy, I had to sit down and say, daddy is not very smart. I shouldn't have been singing that in front of you because now he's going around the house singing it, right? He's thinking it's hilarious and, and it is. I got to kind of turn away and act like I'm not laughing at it when, when I am, but uh, to the point. I'm not very smart sometimes, even at 38, if it's something innocent as a fart and a funny song, take that back to when I was 20, man, I was not doing good things, not making smart decisions. Um, you know, Jess and I, as a couple, we were having fun, no doubt. And, and there was a lot of good fun times with friends and, and parties and, you know, going out doing things, but we were always broke. I mean, we were partying, we were drinking, we were smoking weed every day. Um, we were trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents so we could pay our rent every month and not get evicted. It was tough. And as we got and as we got into our late 20s, you know, we had our, our daughter, Lucy, and I was so excited. Um, I remember being so scared at the same time. Uh, I'm pretty sure our family and our friends were scared for us. They were like, what is going on right now? These two probably are not in any position to be having a baby. Um, and, and we just had no idea what we were doing. And some days I still throw my hands up and wonder like, God, like I don't have any clue what I'm doing right now. How did I get in this, in this predicament here? And I really have to dig and rely on, on, on something higher just to get me through. And that's fine. But I mean, back in the day, I didn't even have that. You know, so I was really trying to operate on my own. Um, and, you know, there's one thing I do remember. I remember promising Lucy, you know, when she was just a baby that I, I wasn't like, she wasn't going to grow up in the same way I grew up with alcohol, with drugs and, and just really just dysfunctional, um, family life, 
you know, I was going to break that cycle for her. And, and at the time I was still in that cycle and I didn't know how or what or when, but I just remember promising her that I promise you, baby girl, you're not going to grow up like I grew up, you know, and I want to, I want to preface this with my mom, with my dad, you know, they did the best job they can do. And that's part of growing up and, and growing into, you know, myself and being a man and realized having to own my own family that, you know, regardless that things weren't perfect growing up in, in my home life as a kid, my mom and dad loved us. They loved me. They loved my sister and they did the best dang job they could do at that time. And I have so much grace for them at this time in my life right now. Um, you know, and, and as I, as I get older, just because I know they were young and they were doing the best job they could. You know, and that helps to heal a lot of the stuff, that acceptance, that forgiveness, um, you know, all those things that, that we kind of learn by working in a, in a recovery program, by, by showing up, by doing that stuff. And so I'm so grateful for the way that I grew up now because it's given me perspective on things, you know, and, and I, I honor my, my mom and I honor my dad, you know, to the best of my ability today in just realizing that. Uh, but you know, I remember though, too, as Jess and I were going through this as, you know, young adults and, and well, I guess 29 is not really considered a young adult anymore. Actually, I'm not sure. Is 29 considered a young adult? Uh, I would say no, personally, I would say you should be, you know, there were so many other people at 29 and not to compare lives or anything, but that were a lot farther ahead than Jess and I were, you know, when, when we had our first baby. But I remember how often the cupboards were bare. Like I remember how often our power, our lights were getting shut off because we couldn't pay the bill. I remember being on government assistance, you know, WIC checks so Lucy could have formula because we couldn't afford to buy formula. We were just broke. We had one car. It was a faded powder blue 1987 Toyota Camry. And this was in 2010. So, you know, don't, I don't want to hear Shane. That's a classic. No, it wasn't a classic. It was more like a classic POS. Like my buddy Josh called it butter rims. So funny because the rims were all faded and yellow looking and I think we found a crock pot in the trunk one time with like a year old sausage in it from an old Christmas party we had been to and got drunk at and just left it there. Like who drives around with a crock pot in the back of their trunk, like full of old sausage? Like, come on. Like, I just didn't care. Like that was just whatever, you know what I mean? Oh, I guess it'll just clean itself. And one day we'll take the crock pot out of the trunk, you know, but that was that mentality of not, not a lot of, uh, of, of self pride, self worth, like just who, who gives a crap really. Um, you know, we actually took Lucy home from the hospital in old butter rims. And, uh, I remember, I remember getting in the car that day when, when, when we were leaving to go home and, and number one thinking, okay, wait a minute here. Like, where's the nurses? Like, where's like, wait a minute, we're going to take this little human being. Well, not little. She was massive. She was like 10 pounds, like, like a sumo wrestler, but we're taking this human being home and like, wait a minute, we're responsible for this person now. Like, wow. Like what, you know, I mean, wow, <laughs> what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to do this? Um, and so there was that fear there. And, and at the same time, I remember feeling kind of low, like I'm almost 30. I should be in a better position in my life to help take care of this, this child that we brought in that I love so much. Like, how are we going to do this? And I remember looking back and telling her, like apologizing to her for that. Like, I'm sorry. 
you know, that were, and I know this sounds kind of goofy because it's kind of on a materialistic thing, but I really think that at the time it was, it wasn't just the car. There was a bigger, the car was an example of how we were living our lives at that time. And it was, it was an example of the choices that, that we had made that at, at that time, we just, we really didn't care. And I remember, you know, telling her, like, I, I promise you, like one day I'm going to, I'm going to pick you up in a Cadillac. You know, I'm going to take you to, you know, out on a, on a date as, as, you know, dad and, and, and daughter, you know, to the father daughter dance, you know? Um, but for now, babe, we're, we're rolling back to back in this hoopty. So, you know, we got to buckle up and I remember just kind of brushing it off and that's kind of the attitude. Okay. What's going our way, you know, and I'll, I'll never forget either the time that I got pulled over in that car and I, I was probably high at the time, um, you know, and I was driving with my daughter in the car, just not making good decisions. And I remember the CHP officer is a woman and she had white, bright white hair. And I can't remember, I can't remember what, you know, was said at the time exactly, but I remember feeling very nervous and had my daughter in the car and I didn't have anything, any, you know, uh, weed or, or I wasn't drinking and driving at the time. Thank God. But like, I wasn't in my right state for sure. I don't remember where we were going or what we were doing. But I remember the feeling of feeling very small and feeling like, you know, not good about myself. And I remember the CHP officer, she reached back and she, she may have been, you know, um, honestly checking for the seat to how she was looking at how the car seat was, was buckled up. Was it buckled in correctly? Was it the right way? Um, and man, I'm getting so much background noise today in, in this recording. I got sirens going on. There's like cars speeding up and down. Um, in any case, it's, it kind of distract me for a minute, but, um, I remember the CHP officer and, and she was, was acting like she was checking for, for the, the safety. Right. And she may have well been, but I also know what she was doing. She was checking for paraphernalia. She was seeing if I had a pipe in there. Did I have any drugs hidden? underneath the seat she was real or underneath the car the car seat base she was you know going around and rubbing you know running her hand and I, I knew what was up and 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 I knew there wasn't anything in there at the time but you know I knew what she was doing and at the same time I couldn't blame her for it I felt like just a, a, a piece you know I didn't feel confident as a man as a father I knew I was I was trying to do better but just wasn't working and, uh, I tried to act like I didn't care though. I just accepted it. Like at some point, like, Hey, this is, this is my life. You know, this, that's just me, I guess, you know? And I remember feeling so small, like maybe the 1987 Toyota Camry wasn't so much the, the POS, you know, maybe the real POS was the boy trapped inside this man's body who was driving his daughter around town high as a kite. Like maybe that was the real thing I needed to look at. It wasn't the car that made me who I was. It was me, the choices I made that made me, you know, get to the point where I was at that day. And, uh, I'd work a while and then I'd get laid off and, um, you know, I'd work a while and get laid off. I hated my job. I was doing drywall at the time. I had a good group of homies too, who, who I'm actually going to be, um, this weekend, my homie, uh, Mo is turn of 40. So big love to him. My homie, Josh, you know, it was a big part of my life. Like I worked with these guys at the time and they had given me a job. You know, I was an apprentice at the time. I just, I, I wasn't doing what I felt that 
I was supposed to be doing. I was doing it obviously because I had bills to pay and, and, and to show up. So I was commuting to San Francisco every day. I was up early, early AM, three thirty, four in the morning, getting home, you know, late in the afternoon, tired, trying to hustle and do side work. If I could sometimes when I was working, you know, but I always knew God had something more for my life, you know, and through those times, like I, I look back now and I learned so much you know, in those days, like I remember one day I was sanding, like, and, and if you're familiar with, with drywall at all, um, you know, you, you tape, you mud, and then we were doing these, these big, you know, high rise, uh, condos at the time. So it's like cookie cutter stuff that every unit is the same. You mud everything. It's like, it's the same thing every day. And then when you're done doing a floor, you go back and we used to call it sanding party. <laughs> you have a big sanding party. Everyone gets their dust, you know, their, their dust mass and their sanding equipment out and you get your sanding pole and you got your sponges so you can get angles in there and just all day long, you got your light cause you got to shine the light on the wall to make sure there's no imperfections and there's no humps. And that's what you did all day. And, and you're sanding ceilings, your shoulders are just on fire because you're, you're just, you're getting after it. If you're in a good groove and you're, 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 you're just, you're going, you're going, you're going. And I remember being tired one day. And, and, and just not really love us probably hung over, you know, from the night before, not, not probably, I'm sure I was hung over from the night before, you know, and just not feeling it. And I remember just, just starting to cry a little bit and just saying like, and I hadn't, I hadn't really ever had s- said this or thought this or felt this before, but I just remember saying, God, like, like help me, please. Like this isn't, I know there's something more to my life than just sanding ceilings all day. And I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with, with sanding ceilings or doing construction or anything. That's some hard work. It takes a ton of skill and, and dedication, getting up in the morning and getting out there and getting after it and, and, you know, creating something, but it's just, it, it, you make great money at it too, man, especially dudes out there humping away, working 10, 12 hour days, just making some good money and providing for their family. So I don't want to sound like I'm downing, downing that. But at the same time, I just knew in my heart that it wasn't for me. It was for me at that time. And, and I was learning something, but it wasn't what God had for my life moving forward. I just felt it inside that there was something different for me to do, to, to, uh, to create, to be, to be, uh, the real Shane, which I had no clue who the real Shane was at that time, you know, and, and I also knew, and I, I found this, this verse in, uh, it's Jeremiah 29, 11. It said, for, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And I know there's some, some more context behind that other than what I'm just, you know, kind of looking at the face of it. I'm not going to get into that part of it today, but God wasn't just going to magically get rid of all my problems, the drinking, the drug use, the, the addiction, the job, my attitude, like me, he wasn't just going to magically fix it. I had to suffer through that for a while longer until I was fully ready to surrender. See, even though I was feeling all those feelings inside at that time, I wasn't ready to surrender yet, you know, and I've still been battling this surrender, this surrender piece to God, at least, you know, I surrendered the alcohol, the drugs back September 11th, 2013. Like I said, in the beginning of the episode, we just celebrated six years. Thank, thank God. I'm so grateful for that. I surrendered that at the time, you know, the tools that I was using, I've continued to try to learn and teach, um, you know, or continue to, to find people to teach, teach me how to do this and follow along and, you know, work a program, um, have community, all that stuff. But 
I wasn't, you know, ready to fully surrender to that at that time. And it's still a process for me. The surrender thing is not just something that magically happens. It's, it's every day I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering my day every single time I wake up. And when I'm in that mode, it makes it a heck of a lot easier because when I'm trying to control stuff, it's, it's dang near impossible. You know, it's almost impossible to, uh, to, to be in the right state of mind for me. And, you know, I just want to ask and propose that question to you. Have you ever had that, that moment of realization or that moment like where you felt something in your gut? There's more out here. Like, why am I here? I'm here to do something different or more, or maybe it's less, but maybe it's just something that's not right at that time. And, and you get that feeling. And I just want to tell you that feeling is real. Um, you can, you know, you don't know how you're going to get through this season in your life, but you know, that feeling is, is tugging on you and telling you that there's something out there more. And we're not going to do it on our own. I know I can't do it on my own if I'm feeling that. And um, that was the thing for me at that time, you know, where I, I knew something was happening, but I just wasn't fully ready. So maybe you're not ready either right now. Maybe you're listening to this. You're new in into recovery. You're new in your uh, in your walk, whatever it is. Just know that that feeling you're feeling is 100% valid. Don't minimize it. Don't write it off. It's real. And the enemy will try to convince you it's not He'll try to keep you stuck right where you're at. At least that's what he did to me. And he kept me stuck there for a long time, you know, but through my struggle came strength. You know, let me say that one more time a bit different. My strength has come through my struggle, you know, towards the end of my addiction, I felt bad about myself. You know, how, how did I get here? I'd often ask myself, you know, like, man, like, God, like how I, I, I couldn't believe it. It happened so fast. It was so progressive towards the last like couple years, you know, that I just, I, I'd always, you know, swore and thought that I would never, ever get to a point where I'd completely lost control. Like I had lost control. And, and if you're a control freak, like I am, which is an, a daily battle for me that I'm, I'm still actively working on every day. You know, that's tough to have to admit that and say, I'm just, I, I lost it. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I got here. You know, I was resentful and angry towards, towards my father, towards the way I grew up. You know, I wasn't understanding that him and my mom were just trying to do the best they knew how to do. And I played the victim card, you know, for a long time. I tried to use it to my advantage and I did. I, I wasn't honest with people. I used, you know, the, 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 the way that I grew up or whatever is, is kind of to my advantage. So people would feel sorry for me. I was depressed. I was full of anxiety. I was insecure. And in all honesty, I didn't really care if I lived or if I died. Now I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was intentionally suicidal, but I honestly could care less if something came up. And in fact, sometimes I prayed for it. Just take me out, God, just take me out. Now I'd been blessed with a beautiful wife and a two-year-old baby girl at the time. You know, she was two right around towards the end, two or three years old, right in that time frame, that last year. And I should have been filled up with joy and with happiness. And I felt 100% empty inside. I felt so empty. It hurt. You know, and I progressively used alcohol and drugs more and more to help mask the pain and the emptiness that I felt. I wasn't serving God. I wasn't serving my family. I wasn't serving my friends. I wasn't taking care of myself. And I couldn't take it anymore. Like I was ready to die 
or get some help, like straight up. I was overwhelmed. I had tried many times, you know, to quit on my own. So in 2013, I finally surrendered to that tool of alcohol or drugs. At least there was a piece. And I had an encounter with God. And as I contemplated what I was going to do, and what I mean by that, it was the cat was out of the bag. I'd went to Jess. I'd went to Seth, my buddy. And I said, hey, I need some help. Here's what I'm doing. I'm drinking. I'm, dr- I'm drinking and driving. I'm, I'm drinking. I'm intoxicated while I'm working. You know, I wasn't doing construction at this time. I was, I was working for, for a different company, but I didn't like my job. I was, I was working nights and it was, I was real down on myself, but I was, I was done. You know, the cat was out of the bag. And after I admitted that I knew it was real and I knew I was going to actually have to take some action into taking some next steps, which probably meant going to treatment, getting some help. So I, the next morning after I kind of had, had admitted all that and said, I need some help. Now it was time to actually do the action. Well, that's a whole different story, right? And I had that voice in my head going, man, you, you can't, you, you're, you're not good enough. Like you don't need to go. You don't have a problem, you know? So I went on a walk and as I walked, I found a Bible laying in the middle of the road. And as I knelt down to pick it up, something spoke to me and just said, go, just go, go get the help you need. You're doing the right thing. I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. And, and if I think back, it was it was very similar to that feeling that I felt as I was sanding the ceilings doing drywall, that feeling of something inside me, my spirit just opening up and and saying like, there's something more for you. It was very similar to that. And it was real. I can't explain it. I don't know. Trust me. I've tried to figure it out. I've tried so hard to figure it out that I've tried to figure, I figure out, um, I figured myself out of believing in faith that there, you know, that there's something higher. Like I, I was so, I, I don't know. See, I'm even, I'm even speechless right now. I just don't get it. And, and I don't have to anymore. I finally realized it's something I don't understand. And I don't know that I'm humanly capable of possible, but that's where my faith comes in. That's where my faith comes in to my life and able to allow me to deal with the day in and day out grind that I, you know, that I still deal with every day, although it's a hundred times better than it was, you know, six years ago. But at that moment, something hit me and I felt confident that I was doing the right thing. I mean, leaving my wife and my daughter, not, I I had to put full faith in God and, and, you know, to, to leave for just 30 days. That's nothing compared to what some people go through in their lives during the military. They're off for months at a time away from their families. I get that. And this was my own doing. And I always like to say that, but it was very scary at that time. I had to give up everything and put all my trust and faith in God to know that everything was going to work out just how it was supposed to. And it did. And we had a lot of help. And I, and I thank you know, our family, our friends for helping out during that time with, with fi- financial stuff, you know, um, with support, uh, even Seth coming over and, and mowing the lawn while I was, while I was gone, you know, things like that. That's what homies, that's what family, you know, does. And, and I'm so grateful for that. But the next day, you know, as, as I was deciding, you know, I went, you know, or I think within a day, maybe two days, there was a bed available for me. And I checked myself into treatment in Sebastopol, California, at Azure Acres. And, you know, I, I think that I'd like to do an episode because I haven't done one of these in a while. Like, what is what was that like? What was that experience of going into rehab like? And, you know, I'll save some of those stories for another episode because I don't want to get into all that right now. But after 30 days, I came out and started on this new journey which was so scary at the time, but it was so great. And I haven't looked back, 
you know, it was a new beginning for me, a ton of ups and downs in between. And, you know, I've shared a lot of those on the podcast in different moments of what I've, what I've been going through, what's been going on in, in life and in recovery and just, you know, normal day-to-day stuff. But if we fast forward to today, six years later, you know, I generally, for the most part, wake up excited, grateful, you know, ready for God to show me what's in store for the day. Like I'm sober. I, I have an awesome family, uh, awesome life. I love what I do for a living. I'm, I'm just so grateful. I'm on fire for life, right? I mentioned that earlier in the beginning of the episode. I'm on fire for life. That's how I was feeling. That's what I just felt every day. You know, but even after six years sober, I've rem- I'm reminded of something that I once heard in a meeting. I'm in process. I'll never arrive. And just when I think I've arrived, that I'm on fire for life and I've got it figured out, God says, no, Shane, like, let me bring you back down and humble you a bit and remind you where I brought you. I'm learning how different seasons in life bring different experiences. You know, I've been going through this change lately, like waking up, feeling a bit lost, a bit burnt out, a bit confused, um, in, in my life and in my faith and, and far from God. That's, that's not, you know, feeling like questioning a lot of stuff, a lot of doubt creeped in over the last few months, you know, even like the last six months to a year. And it's just been this up and down thing. And I'm unwilling, or should I say, I have been unwilling to go all in and fully surrender, not just the alcohol and the drugs, but fully surrender my life to God, to give it up. You know, I got one foot in and one foot out trying to be like authentic, you know, through man's eyes, but not authentic through God's eyes. You know, I'm cursing like a sailor on Wednesdays and I'm worshiping like a saint on Sundays, holding on to reservations from my past identity. So I don't have to fully let go of the old me because there's still this little part of this rebel, this, you know, this uh, punk rock, you know, guy who who wants to show people that he's worth something and that he's going to amount to something. And it's been a really tough battle in my head, you know, going through that and then not feeling good enough. The lows of feeling like, why do I even do this? This is stupid. Like I should never have even started this thing and I'm not going to be anybody. Who are you? It's just like this enemy voice just attacking me. And I know that's not true. You know, I know that's not true, but when I'm doing it on my own, the attack comes even harder. You know, I thought I was being authentic, but the truth is I was judging my authenticity from the perception of people, not from the perception of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can confirm my authenticity. That's it. Like, do I see myself how other people see me or do I see myself how God sees me? Because that's the true authentic Shane when I can see myself, how God sees me, when I see myself, how people sees me, how people see me, I don't do very good. I don't do very good with that. And I'm, I'm beginning to realize that. And it's really setting in lately. You know, it's, it's also, you know, I also realized that I forgot where I came from. I forgot where God had brought me. You know, I had a counselor named David when I was in treatment and, and he would say, and I remember this, he had, he had these huge hands. He was a big dude too. And this guy, the amount of drugs this guy did, he, there's no way he should have even been alive for the amount of substances that David put in his veins. And he would talk very openly about, you know, some, some of the times where, um, you know, he was near death and, uh, 
and, and just down and, and high, high as a kite. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. But he would say, you will forget. You will forget. And I couldn't imagine at that time, like, how, how could I forget all the crap that I've been putting myself through, putting my family through? Like, how could I forget, you know, the, the things that I've been through growing up? And I'll never forget that. There's no, how could I forget how bad it hurts like that I'm, I'm in rehab right now? Like, how can I forget this? But when I looked in the mirror every day since I'd been sober, I, I thought I was doing pretty good. Although I was a bit confused spiritually, and, and I still am some days. Um, you know, I was feeling pretty proud of where I was at in this last year, in this last couple of years. Like, pretty proud of how far I had come. You know, I was doing okay. I'm on fire for life, baby. Woo! Hell yeah. I'm making a little more money now. My bills are paid. We bought a house. I created this podcast. I created a job inside a Fortune 500 company, you know, that, and, and I, I'm not saying this, but I'm, I'm telling you, like, this is what my thought process has been. Like, I'm, I'm doing good. Like, I created a, a job. You know, I created a company. I, I don't drive a 1987 Toyota Corolla with an old school crock pot full of sausage in the trunk anymore, son. I don't drive butter rims anymore. I got two respectable vehicles. My family's healthy. I'm coaching my son's t-ball. I'm watching my daughter play soccer. My, my marriage is much better. I got some brand new Nike Cortez on my feet. I got black ones and the white Forrest Gump ones, son. I can choose either one I want to wear any day. My life is beautiful. I ain't rich, but I ain't broke no more. I can pay my light bill, my mortgage, and hit Costco on a Saturday and get some steaks and some free samples and a bunch of other crap that we don't need. I got this. I got this. I, I got this. I was on fire for life, but I was lukewarm for Jesus. The only one who can actually bring me to where I'm at today. The only one who actually did bring me where I'm at today. By speaking to me in that moment, that encounter I had that I forgot about when I found the Bible laying in the middle of the road. That's who saved me from my own worst enemy, which is myself. That's who blessed me with a beautiful, loving family. I didn't do it. The one who loves me unconditionally, that's who saved me. The one who shows me mercy and grace through the good times and the bad. The one who died for my sins. And I was lukewarm for him. I've been lukewarm for him. Now, as I was kind of writing this out, I started thinking back to you know, some, some scripture and some things that I've heard before. And I, and I'm, you know, I'm new, I'm not a Bible scholar by any means. Um, you know, I, and I, I try to try to understand stuff and do a little bit of research on stuff. And I was, as I was writing some of this message out and just really kind of pouring my heart into this, I haven't done this in a while. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the podcasts, although they're great content, there's a lot of surface stuff in, in, in some of them, I feel like, and, and most people probably don't realize that I'm probably being hard on myself, but I know my true heart and I know, you know, what I'm going through and it's hard sometimes to open up, you know, and, 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 and to really pour out your heart. And so I was, God, thank you so much for being able to do this, you know, being able to write some of this out and be honest. And as I did that, I came across a verse, Revelation 3.20, a pretty, pretty well-known verse, and you'll hear it preached a, a lot. You'll see memes of it, and you know, but it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him 
and will dine with him and he with me. And so when I first see that, I think, well, man, when I found that Bible in the middle of the road that day, when I was debating whether or not I was going to go get the help that I need, when I was going to get sober and, and change my life, I had this vision, I had this feeling that was Jesus knocking on my door and saying, here's an opportunity to come in, you know, let me dine with you and he with me. And now I, that's how I initially interpreted this verse is Jesus standing outside the door of my heart, waiting to be invited in. And as he knocks, like I, as I knelt down and pick up that Bible, I get to decide, you know, I get to decide. And I think many people interpret this verse the same as just what it is and viewing it from this interpretation. When I think back, I can't count how many times in my life I felt like God was knocking on my door and how many times in my life I was too prideful too egotistical, too stupid, just not ready, or here's the big one, just plain scared to open up that door and let God into my life. Maybe you've been feeling God knocking on your door, you know, to your heart. So you know what I'm talking about. And, and it's okay if you're scared. It's okay if that feels different and, and you don't know what it is or you don't know how you could even fathom taking that next step, you know, connecting spiritually to something higher. And then I found a great article unpacking a little bit more of what this verse means in its full content or its full context. I mean, and I'll, I'll put that cause I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not going to read in verbatim. I forgot what it is now, but I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, and I'm going to go through some of this break, kind of unpacking this verse. Okay. Because this made sense to me too. And I went, Oh, wow, this is pretty, pretty incredible. But there's a famous painting called the light of the world by Holman hunt. Uh, and it was inspired by the verse that I read revelation three 20. And it's a beautiful painting. There's a picture of it. Like I said, I'll put this link to this article that I'm kind of paraphrasing. That's the word I was looking for, by the way, paraphrasing some of, some of the stuff in here. So you can read the article if you want. You can see the, the painting by Holman Hunt. But what it is, is it depicts Jesus in a moonlight backdrop wearing a crown of thorns standing at the front door of what looks like someone's home. Now, the door is overgrown with weeds and dead flowers. It represents someone's life. At least that's how it can be interpreted. This front door, weeds, dead flowers, vines, just overgrown. Now, Jesus is holding a light in one hand and he's knocking on the door with the other. Now, one thing that's really interesting, there's no handle on the outside of the door, which would tell us that it's up to the person on the inside of the door to choose if they let Jesus in. And that goes back to the scripture. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Now, the painting is often used and interpreted as a symbol of how Jesus comes knocking on the doors of those who don't believe in him, those um, who aren't sure, who are doubtful, giving them a choice to let him come into their lives. The door in the painting doesn't appear to have a handle on the outside, like I mentioned, and Holman Hunt explained in one of his books that this was deliberate, and the handle is on the inside of the door and can only be opened from that end representing, get this, this is one of my favorite parts, representing the obstinately shut mind. The obstinately shut mind. The doubtful mind. The closed off mind. The incapable human mind. 
man, that's good to me. In other words, we have to open the door to let Jesus into our lives. Jesus will never force his way in and he gives us the freedom to choose. It's up to us whether or not we open the door. Uh, if we do, he promises I'll come in, I'll eat with you. You eat with me. We'll, we'll, we'll join together. And it's a sign of friendship, which Jesus offers to all people who open the door, uh, open their door to the lives to their open, open their door to their lives. Slaughtered that, but <laughs> you know what I'm getting at. So while it could provide us with a useful picture of what happens when someone who doesn't believe in God and Jesus, so and that makes t- that interpretation that I just read with the picture with the the, the verse, I I mean that applies so much to me, and and I know it probably applies to a lot of people out there listening, whether or not you believe in God or not, like. If there's something higher, there's just something that applies to so many other people. And I found out that that's not even the correct context of this. Check this out. Now, while it could provide us with a useful picture of what happens when someone who doesn't believe in God, this is actually not the original context of the passage in Revelation 3.20 at all. And to be honest, kind of made me sad when I found this out. So I'm like, what? Wait, wait a minute. Like, this was like speaking to me. And, and, and you can still interpret it like that, too. I mean, I think it makes perfect sense. But I am one of those dudes who likes to research. I want to know the truth. That's what gets me in trouble sometimes. Because I, the, the truth, knowledge, can create doubt. And that's what the enemy wants to do. That's What's the number one thing? I don't know why I'm asking a question here. But what is the number one thing the enemy wants to do? I just said it. He wants to create doubt in our minds and that's it. And so knowledge, questioning stuff, man, I really, really struggle with that. And that's part of where this surrender, this acceptance and this full blown hundred percent faith has come in. But when I looked at this interpretation of this, you know, it fits so many different aspects of my life. Um, you know, and all through, you know, because I wasn't always making the right choices. And I always felt like Jesus was with me and he was waiting for me to answer that door to invite him in. So what does it really mean then if it doesn't mean that? And it's actually part of a longer, uh, a longer passage here. And it's, it forms part of John and I'm, I'm kind of reading verbatim here from this article. Once again, I'll link it in there. I always want to stay true to that. Make sure that I'm uh, paraphrasing it and giving credit where credit's due. This isn't something exactly that I wrote or anything. But it forms part of John's vision of a message sent to the church. John has a vision of Jesus speaking to seven different churches. Each of these churches are imperfect and have something about them that is not quite up to par. In each of these, warnings and encouragements are given. Um, to the uh, To the church of... I think it's uh, it's Laodicea or Laodicea, I'm not sure, but to the church of Laodicea, Jesus gives a stern warning because of their, check this out, lukewarm nature. And man, that's just how I, like that's it. this part, I was like, wow, I've been feeling so lukewarm. I've been feeling so lukewarm, one foot in, one foot out. And, and uh, in Revelation, I think it's 3.15, he says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because of you, so because of you being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, of course, now of course, I mean the 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 church, the body of Christ, 
your faith, it's made up of individuals, even though he was specifically speaking to a specific church here. But within that body, you can easily find many individuals, and in, in I'm paraphrasing again, who become lukewarm. And this was like so relatable, relatable to me because I'm like, man, that's me. Like, that's me. Like, I've become lukewarm for God. Like, I don't know where I stand with him. I'm confused. I'm doubtful. Like, help me. Like, surrender. Like, I need help. And uh, it goes on to say that's the danger for each one of us as Christians. We can allow our passion for Jesus to fade and to become indifferent to sin or to others in need. So in other words, we become lukewarm for God. We become lukewarm for Jesus. And we can forget, get this, we can forget how far we've come. We can forget how far we've come. And more importantly, more importantly, we can forget it was God that brought us here in the first place. I forgot, just like David said. You know, I kept I kept going back to that. David saying, you will forget. You will forget. And he was right. I forgot. Like, I forgot where I came from. I forgot what we what we went through. I forgot all that. You know, in order to find out where you're at, you need to take a look back and remember where you were. Look how far you've come. You know, I forgot who saved me. It wasn't me. It was God. Now, I woke up early last Sunday morning uh, to go get a griddle of all things, right? I don't know why we don't have a griddle. Like who, who doesn't have a griddle that likes to cook breakfast? Like breakfast is my favorite. I would have breakfast for dinner, waffles, pancakes, French toast, potatoes, bacon, salami, especially on a Sunday morning. And especially when you got some playoff, well, near playoff baseball, football starting, um, you know, fall is in the air. I'm a sucker for the pumpkin spice candles. You can make fun of me. It's cool. It's cool. I'm secure in my manhood. I love a good pumpkin spice candle. There's nothing better than sitting in the front room with, you know, the, the evening time rolling around. You got some pumpkin spice candles going on. You got some football on or some baseball, some dinner cooking up, up in the crock pot. Jess is just getting after it. Maybe some stew. As you can see, I'm ready for fall. I'm ready for the summer. I love summer, but I'm, I'm kind of ready to transition into this new season. It's just a season. Love that, right? Oh, it's, it's just a season. You'll get through it. But I love literally the seasons too. I love that feeling of falling. And football season, you know, here's the thing with football. I'm kind of torn between it, right? Like I, I like watching some football. I like the sound of it. I like the vibe of it. Fall, you know, it's got that fall feeling. Um, it, it gives me that specific feeling. It takes me back, like being at my grandparents' house, um, you know, or or just like the get-together Thanksgiving, maybe there's a game on in the background. You know what I'm talking about, right? You've, you've probably felt that same thing. It's that sound, that vibe. You know, and football does something to me in that way. But I'm not a fan of the NFL, really. Um, you know, that's the thing I've been struggling with. I did fantasy football way back in, I think, I don't know, I, this, I probably did it about 15. I did fantasy football 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I did it way before you. <laughs> that's that uh, that uh, that's that thing I was trying to avoid sounding like when I said, but I started to sound like it, so I'm just gonna bust myself out there. But I did I did fantasy football a long time ago with my buddy Alan Stevens when I was doing way before kids, and uh, man, another homie I lost, you know, to some circumstances that I'm I'm not 100 sure of, but I have a good, uh, an idea of it. But Alan Stevens, rest in peace, my homie. Um, man, just thought about him. That's that's a trip right there. 
good dude. Um, but you know, that feeling you get when, when football's around, that's what it was. And, and even though like the football thing, um, you know, they throw way too many flags and like that, I don't know, they cry about it. And then the Raiders are leaving to Las Vegas. Like I'm an Oakland fan, Oakland A's for sure, Bay area, but the Raiders are leaving. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of the players, not all of them, but it has entitled attitudes, just like shut your pie holes and play football. That's kind of the attitude I got. And then with the league and stuff, that's what got me into hockey actually. And hockey, man, shoot, you want to talk about some good stuff. Hockey is the business. Just fight, just fight it out. Just duke it out old school style. I'm old school like that. Very traditional values. Let's throw the gloves off and and throw down real quick and we'll see who who wins and we'll settle it right here, right now. And in football, like I saw a dude the other day, he like slapped his face mask and they called like he got ejected from the game for slapping his face mask. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like these are grown men out here playing a aggressive, dangerous sport and he slaps them out of you know, whether he did a little attitude there, like I get it, but he gets ejected for that. Like I'm moving on to hockey in any case, which also reminded me of a quote. I love from the poet juvenile, give them bread and circuses and they will never revolt. Total different, uh, total different thing right there. Probably should have just left that alone. But in any case, I just went to get some breakfast and a griddle. Okay. That's all I did. Going to get some breakfast, going to get a griddle, decided to go to Walmart because they're the only ones open at 6am, right? I walked in, started talking trash about the place immediately. Felt like I was too good to be in a Walmart. I was judging the bananas. Are these organic? Ignore the four, hate the eight, dying on the nine. You ever heard that? That's how you can tell if you're getting a, a true organic fruit or vegetable. They have the barcode numbers. I actually learned this in, um, where did I, was it was it a book or podcast? I think it came from John Joseph. Um, somewhere I'd, I'd seen, but ignore the four, hate the eight, dine on the nine. So when you're looking at the barcodes on fruit or vegetables, if it starts with the four, ignore the four. This is if you're looking for organic stuff. If it starts with the four, ignore the four. If it starts with the eight, hate the eight. If it starts with the nine, dine on the nine. It's a good way to tell, right? So I'm in there, I'm looking at the bananas, ignore the four, hate the eight, dine on the nine. I'm judging the people like a Real jerk, right? Justifying the only reason that I was in a Walmart was because I, it, that, when, I don't know. It was the only thing open at the time. Though I had no other option. It's the only reason I'm in here. I'm not supposed to be in this dump. I'm way better than this. <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, these are the types of things that my, my mind, the mind, like, and I know that's not my, that's not my heart speaking. I know my heart's true. Like, I don't care. I'll shop at the dollar store. I'll shop at a Walmart. I'll shop at Target. I'll shop at the Nugget. I'll go to Whole Foods occasionally if I got a bonus, like $8,000 bonus. Like I can, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care. That's, that's not my, that's not my heart doing that. But here's another one. Proverbs 11 two, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. When pride comes, then comes disgrace but with humility comes wisdom. And I lose my humility sometimes, man. Let me just say my pride was in full effect the morning that I had to go get a griddle and some breakfast at Walmart. And then I remembered like, I'm not better than anyone. Like God knows my imperfections. God knows my sins. God knows my moments of weakness. You know, God knows my mouth sometimes, my tongue. And as much as I can hide them from myself and be in denial about some of that stuff, 
that I still actively have to work through, I can't hide them from God. He knows. You know, he knows. And once again, look, I forgot where I came from. I forgot what happened. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what you've been through. Don't forget who lifted you up. Don't forget how you got to where you got to today. Pride and ego have been slowly eating at me until my own disgrace showed its face to me in a Vacaville Walmart standing in front of eight different brands of bacon complaining over if the, or, if the bananas were organic or not. Like, are you kidding me? I just went to get some breakfast. God, give me a break. And it's that kind of stuff that's so good. It, it, you know, I'm just so, so happy that I get to have these realizations and be real with myself and not numb to reality, even though it sucks sometimes to have to admit some of this stuff. And as I stood there looking at all the bacon, because you never want to get thin bacon, right? Or cheap bacon. That stuff is nasty. Like I, I'm not even going to say the brand, but it starts with an H. Remind, it rhymes with Tornell. <laughs> I don't even think that's a word. I just made it up, but not good. You need some thick bacon. I went for the thick, uh, thick cut mega pack, I think, man. Cook that bacon up. Who doesn't like bacon? But as I stood there, as I was kind of looking at the, the mega pack to choose from, I realized like after six years sober, right? This is like a, this is like a week ago. I had forgotten the years of partying, the years of no money, the years of bare cupboards, always being broke, our power being shut off, our, our, our water bill not being paid. I can't pay my bills, but I can buy booze and cocaine. Like, are you kidding me? Like being on WIC so my daughter can have formula and there's nothing wrong with being on assistance and needing some help. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to come across like that. But what I'm saying, that's what it's there for. But what I'm saying was that I was fully capable of not having to use that so somebody else who needed it could use it. But I was not living up to my full potential. I was not making the right choices. I was not surrendering to God so I could live out my purpose. You know, then I remembered back about using you know, all the, the drugs and the, and the alcohol, the mask, all that pain. And I thought even back about driving butter rims with the crock pot in the back. And as, as Jess was nine months pregnant in this last house, I, I, I was actually sober at this time, but it was early on. It was just a, you know, right about nine months in. Can you believe that Jess got uh, pregnant nine months to the day that I went to, that I got out of, of rehab. That's a good one. Right. But she was pregnant with cash at that time. And we got evicted. We basically got evicted. Like we got a notice. We weren't paying our rent on time. Still, you know, we were struggling. That was tough, man. I forgot all that. And worst of all, I forgot that I wasn't serving God. I wasn't serving my family back in the day. I wasn't taking care of myself the way I should have. And just like David said, you will forget. I forgot. And I had an encounter with God and I invited him into my life. And at the same time, I pushed him away. I pushed him away. And so, man, what's the message of this today? What is the message of this today? Well, number one, I got all God on you. And I did that because God's all I got. 
God is all I got. And I'm okay with saying that today. And I, I, I hope that people in, and I'm not just talking about this topic. I'm talking about a topic on, on our whole culture, society, everything that's going on in the world right now. We see all this bad news, all this, all this crap going on and wars and just crazy stuff, political arguments. And I'm right. You're wrong. I'm like, we've got to a point where we can't even have discussions anymore and agree and disagree on stuff, you know? And so that's why in this topic, like I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about my recovery. I'm passionate about serving others. And, you know, God is all I got. And I'm, I'm so honored to have an opportunity to share that with, with those out there who listen and whether you agree with it or not, that's fine. But I'm just saying, at least, like I said earlier, we can practice tolerance and patience and being open-minded and having a, 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 a good heart. And even when we disagree with stuff, you never know what you're going to hear or try that you didn't think that's what opens us up. That's what creates growth in us as human beings by stepping out. You know, one, one more thing, we're going to wrap this thing up. Let's go back to the article and you know what, let me, let me just let me just preface this article too. It's from drawingontheword.com, um, drawingontheword.com. And so I'll put, be sure to put that in there, but I wanted to wrap up with this. Like it said in here, and I thought this was great. We can easily allow our everyday lives to overwhelm us and to push Jesus outside of our lives. So guilty of that. We can become distracted with all the cares and worries of this world. When we become worried, we must remember that one thing is needed to hear the word of God again and spend time with Jesus, spend time with God. This was Jesus's call to Martha when she was distracted by so many other things and said, instead of sitting at his feet, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget how you got to where you're at today. And you know, I, I would encourage you to take some time and write down some of your journey. This is one of the takeaways I was talking about. Like, I want to, I want to give this, you know, I want to, I want to share, I want to give these certain points and, and thoughts that I'm having, but what's the takeaway here? Well, here's one takeaway that you can do. And this felt so good, you know, for, for me to be able to do this week is to sit down and write, write about where you've been on, like or the journey you've been on, write about what you've been through. I was able to do some of that this week and it was so relieving and it just, it brought this flow of emotion and realization and thought and remember, you know, remembering where I came from and then which went into creating this whole new attitude of gratitude to where I, you know, where I've been able to sit today. It's amazing. It's like unbelievable sometimes. So take some time with yourself, sit down in a quiet place you know, grab your journal, grab a notebook, write about what you've been through, write about where you've been, write about where you want to go. Where do you envision yourself going? Ask God for forgiveness for anything that you're still holding on to. Ask God to help you forgive others that you're holding resentments against. That's freedom right there. You know, when I reflect on my own journey, uh, even me getting sober feels like just this small piece of of the much bigger puzzle to my life. You know, and I have so far to go. I have so much still to do, so much, uh, you know, love to to give and to receive, thankfully. And I just want to honor the gift of life. Like it's so valuable. I'm, I'm so appreciative of the time. Like I can never get time back. That's the most expensive, valuable thing in this world is time. I can make more money. I can buy a different car if I get in an accident. I, if I lose my house, I can get a new house. I can't ever, ever get time back. Can't ever get time back. 
So I love you guys. I thank you. Um, I hope something spoke to you today. Even if you don't agree with everything that I'm saying here, like, man, I just pray that there's something that spoke to you today and that you hear that you can relate to. I'd ask, man, just share the podcast with a friend. I've been saying that lately. I haven't been on social media. Oh, back to the flip phone too. The flip phone experiment is going great. It's going great. It's I'm like three weeks into the flip phone. Um, I've checked my Instagram a couple of times on the computer just to kind of check in, see, you know, see what's going on. And it's, it's been okay, but I've been quick to get off of it. Not really interested in it right now. Um, you know, I'm sure it's just a season. It's just a season. He'll be back on Instagram later. He'll be back on. It's cool. It's just a season, but share the podcast in this season with a friend. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, you can check us out at thatsoberguy.com. Uh, connect with us on Instagram at Real That Sober Guy at Shane Raymer on Twitter. Peace, love, respect. Thank you guys again. Keep your blood clean. <laughs>